Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 62, beginning with the first verse. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Here ends our reading. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, normally I consider myself to be a pretty optimistic person. I tend to look on the bright side of things. I like joy, joy in cold weather, joy in warm weather, joy in Houston, except for the traffic. I tend to be a pretty optimistic person, but I have to confess, looking around society today, I can't help but get a little bit discouraged. I mean, we are in the midst, still, of the longest government shutdown in American history. This is, uh, this, is a, this is a problem. It shows how dysfunctional Washington has become, in particular because it's not like we have any great crisis that's facing us that's led to this shutdown. After all, again, border crossings on our southern border at a you know, decades-long low. Yes, we have to fix our asylum system. Yes, we have to fix our immigration system. But that's not what this is about, this crisis that we're in right now, the shutdown we're in right now, is about pure dysfunction in Washington. Things are broken. At the same time, you look around and there's all these rumors swirling that perhaps our president and even those around him might be caught uh, in criminal activity. We'll see as the months unfold, but it should be nerve-wracking for every one of us as good Americans, the last thing any of us want is for our leaders to be caught in criminal activity and the implications that has for our society. These are are big deals and perilous times. But if that was all that was bad, if that was all that was wrong, I I might still have cause to be really optimistic. It turns out there's some other big things that are also facing us that disturb me. And maybe they disturb you too. Uh, One trend we see is our rising national debt. Uh, Here we have our debt levels in the United States are at, as a percentage of our GDP, are at their highest level since just after World War II. And we have an economy that's booming, and yet our debt level is rising every year. What happens when the recession hits, which inevitably will? Then all of a sudden that debt will really explode. The United States currently benefits by being the reserve currency of the world. 
So people trade and make deals around the world using the U.S. dollar. What if that shifts? If that shifts, our borrowing costs will go way up. What if fewer countries start begging, start stop? What if fewer countries peg their currency to the dollar? All of a sudden, interest rates will reflect the actual borrowing costs. We've been able to borrow more cheaply than we should based on how much we're borrowing because we're the U.S. Well, at a certain point in the next 10 years, that might change. And at a certain point in the next 10 years, that's going to come home to roost for all of us, and that's going to mean cuts to the three biggest pots of money that we spend things on, defense, Social Security, and Medicare. So if you think we're dysfunctional now, you just wait until they come after your Social Security and Medicare. Imagine what that's going to look like. That is, I mean, talk about pitchforks in the street. (laughs) This is going to be major, we have major issues facing our country coming forwards. Then there's climate change. You know, again, this is going to be a happy sermon this morning. Climate change. I mean, I might love this nice, brisk, cold weather, but of course we have really cold weather in the northern parts of our country, uh, and these huge snowstorms that are being dropped. Why is that happening? Apparently, uh, because of climate change, there are these warm currents that actually go into the Arctic and push the Arctic cold out and give us these polar vortexes that give us abnormally cold temperatures in the wintertime. That's actually a result of climate change, as odd as that might sound. And again, these issues of climate change, like Hurricane Harvey, you know, have 300-year storms in, a, in three years. Well, that's because they're not 100-year storms anymore. It's going to get more and more and more frequent. The problem with climate changes and with all climate stuff is that you can see small changes, small changes, small changes, small changes. And at a certain point, you might start seeing big changes. And when that happens, there's going to be real consequences. Major storms in all parts of the country... Uh, Record drought. Drought leads to famine. Talk about social unrest. When you can't actually feed your family or find water, society breaks down really, really quickly. And when that happens in the 21st century, think of what that's going to mean. This is is, going to be the reality in the next 10, 20 years. I mean, this is what's going to happen. And then you look at uh, another great trend, more happiness. Uh, you see the rise of artificial intelligence in our society. With the rise of AI, all these people are predicting that that's going to lead to increased mechanization in the world, and all of a sudden the need for human labor will continually drop. Already in the United States over the last 40 years, as a result of globalization, we have seen a major impact on the fabric of our society as good middle-class jobs have gone overseas because of the nature of globalization and global competition. Well, that trend, which has caused huge issues and and dislocation in our society, that trend is going to get a whole lot worse when AI and mechanization start ramping up in the next 10 to 15 years. They think that they're going to have robots who will even be able to do surgeries on you more effectively than human surgeons. Gosh, if surgeons are going to get displaced, imagine what that means for the rest of us. One example that, uh, that is potentially a big deal for people living in Houston is someone pointing out to me, hey, and I mentioned this before to some of you, hey, you know, electric cars are becoming a thing. One thing about electric cars is that they don't wear down as easily as typical gas-powered engines because they're fewer moving parts. So you can have an electric car run for a million miles or more. Now, for an average person, that's not a big deal. But let's say you have an Uber car or a Lyft. And let's say they're self-driving. The per-mile cost of getting from point A to point B just fell through the floor. Meaning, for most people in the United States, there won't be a need to have a car anymore. 
Now, if you get rid of the auto industry, think of how many jobs are going to be lost through that. This is not a minor thing. In addition to that, think of what that's going to do for the price of crude oil. The main driver of the price of crude oil is what? Gasoline. If gasoline demand falls through the floor, what's that going to mean for a city like Houston? This is a real thing that could happen in the next 10 years. All these things are literally going to be colliding at the exact same time, sometime in the mid-2020s. We're not that far away from it. You excited for the future? (laughs) Again, I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm just trying to be realistic. (laughs) Now, the, the, the good thing about this, here's the good news. There is some really good news. The good news is, is that we have a lot of super bright people in this country. Really, really bright people across the political spectrum who have really great ideas on how to solve all of these issues. We've got good solutions out there. We've got them. I've talked to a lot of people, some of my friends, who who work on these issues. It's really inspiring to hear some of the public policy solutions that are out there to deal with these issues. The issue facing our country is not one of technocratic solutions. It's not one of good policy possibilities. The great challenge facing us is a moral challenge. Do we have the moral will to actually do these things that it's going to take to solve these issues. That's the problem. And we have real problems facing us. And the thing that, and, and again, this is just pointing out some things that, are, that I'm passionate about, hopefully you're passionate about too. Some of the things that will not help us along this way, one is uh, a classic secular materialism that seems to be the regnant philosophy in our country. He who wins is the person who dies with the most toys, right? So the more toys you have, the better off you are. You might as well go buy more, produce more, or buy more, consume more. That's the way that you find happiness. You find happiness through consumption. That's what we're told. That's what we buy into, our society at large. But if we have a strictly secular materialist viewpoint, how is that going to solve these problems? Because everyone's just looking out for themselves and maximizing their own material gain. What's that going to look like when it starts asking for real sacrifices in society? How is that going to pan out? If that is our driving philosophy, I am scared for what that's going to mean for the future. Now, in addition, as, as you see the, the decline in religion in our country... Human beings have a, have a natural drive to find something to worship, some sort of God, right? Something to seek out is their ultimate concern. And so what do people turn to? They increasingly turn to tribalism of one thing or another. My team, it could be sports teams. Uh, it could also be political teams. Maybe you saw in the last couple of days this viral video that went out of this Catholic school, high school in Washington, D.C., you know, at the, at, the, at, the, at the pro-life rally. They were there for this pro-life rally. There was also a Native American rally there. You had these high school students who were then mocking uh, these Native Americans that were there, including, ch- you know, chanting about, like, build that wall or something like that. And again, how, how the wall has anything to do with Native American rights, I'm not really clear. But what it, what it shows is just the, the nature of tribalism, that these students... Like, they were in their tribe. Like, they, they were there for pro-life stuff, but they were, their tribe also means, why should I, you know, be supportive of Native American rights? You know, clearly that's wrong. I'm, I'm chanting my tribe. Um, <clears throat> that's just one example that have, came up in the last couple of days, but we can give any number of other examples. People worship their tribe because they're not worshiping God. 
And there's also secular humanists. The other day I had a discussion about, uh, I, I tend to fall in these discussions. I don't know if you, maybe you do too. Uh, this person who came up to me is uh, an, an atheist and just sort of challenging me on various things. And so we get in these fun debates. And uh, again, this is what I do in my free time. <clears throat> and one of the things he pointed out justifiably was, hey, there are plenty of ways to construct a moral world and an ethical viewpoint without God. And without Christianity. And I'm like, well, of course there are. Obviously. Most common of which is a secular humanism. Where you lift up human beings as being fundamentally great. Okay, We are going to live for the maximization of human beings. We're seeking out a world in which humans flourish. And generally the, the, the two bedrocks of humanism are one. That human beings are fundamentally good. And two, that human beings are fundamentally rational. And what Christians generally say is that those two things are flawed. <laughs> Human beings are not fundamentally good, and they're not particularly rational. If you have any question about that, secular humanism works really well when society is going well. When society is not going well, secular humanism and a lot of those philosophical systems fall apart very, very quickly. So what do we need? We have all these problems. What do we need? I'm biased, but I think what we need is, 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 is a place just like this, First Congregational Church. What we need are people who are willing to forego their self-interest for the good of others. I don't think we're going to be able to solve the problems that face us unless people are willing to, on some level, communally forego their self-interest for the sake of others. I think another key to actually make this work, people have to care about everyone, including those on the margins. Because otherwise, those with power are just going to squish everyone else. We have to have a system that lifts up love and compassion as ways to transcend this. We have to lift up a system that that asks us to worship something other than ourselves or our society or our tribe. Something that's going to ask us to worship God. This is what we need. I really don't see any other way out of it. I firmly believe... I firmly believe that what we do here on Sunday morning and how this feeds into other things we do during the week is the single key element for our society to survive and thrive in the time ahead. If we're going to be able to actually have the moral will to, do, to embrace the solutions we need to deal with the problems of society, what we need are people who have a moral grounding that is a moral grounding like the type we get here. Jesus is a model. And nothing about Christianity. Christianity also empowers us to act. To go out and do things. To try and make the world a better place and live into these values. I know many of you who are here today were marching yesterday for the rights of women here in Houston. And there were other people doing that around the country. Trying to say we need to respect women in our society. We need to oppose toxic masculinity in our society. We need to end violence against women in our society. People standing up for these types of values and willing willing to march for it. This is what we need. And the motivation for this comes from moral formation that happens in places like this. Now, the prophet Isaiah, the passage we have in Isaiah 62 for this morning, comes out of so-called third Isaiah. So this is a passage that, that was written after the return of the exile. So again, you had the Israelites... In 586, they were in exile in Babylon, and then they returned from Babylon uh, around the year 540, 539, and shortly thereafter is when this text 
that we have in Isaiah was written. And when the Israelites got back to Palestine, these exiles got back to Palestine, there were lots of issues going on in Israel at the time. When you read through that whole, those last 10 chapters of Isaiah, you can see some of the issues. Excessive materialism, divisions in society. All of these things were rampant as these exiles came back. And what does the prophet Isaiah say? Prophet Isaiah calls on the people to say, turn back to God, celebrate Zion, celebrate Jerusalem, celebrate the faith that we have, because this is the way that we're going to actually move it forward. And when we do, this is something that we will be able to rejoice in. God will reach out and say that you are, again, this is this marriage motif between God and Israel, that you are not forsaken, that you are married, that you're there with that, that that's the answer to these communal issues that are facing the prophet Isaiah in the 6th century BC. And I think the same thing applies to us today. And so our challenge is, as a congregation, as people who care about these issues, is to be able to articulate these things. To be able to say, hey, the values that we lift up in church matter for the fabric of our society. And the work is not sexy. This is one of the things. It's not like that. What we all love to see is like one big solution, one big policy that will just solve everything. And unfortunately, that's not the way it works. Eugene Peterson, the person who translated the, uh, the Bible, the, the message translation, one of these very popular translations, his memoirs, which, are also, which is a bestseller, his memoirs about what it means to be a Christian are entitled a long, The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That that's what it means to be a Christian. This long obedience, this every day going to church, this trying to do the right thing day in and day out, trying to have those discussions with friends, trying to make sure that you admit where you're wrong and where your own self-interest might cloud your judgment, to try and reach out to others who need it, and to do this day after day after day. A long obedience in the same direction. It is not a sexy solution, but the reality is that's the solution. And that's why a place like First Congregational Church matters so much, because here we remind ourselves of that, we ground ourselves in the values that matter and we, we get the collective energy of God and the Holy Spirit to go out and make a difference when we leave this place. Both in big ways in terms of some sort of advocacy, but also in small ways in terms of how you treat your neighbor and friends and others. And so be bold about saying how this matters in your life and share that with others. There's going to be some time in the next few months, I guarantee, where you are talking about the woes of the world. How things are going bad. If you're like me, you probably talk about that more than you should. The woes of the world, how things are going bad. And when you find yourself in these conversations with your friends, with other people, when you get locked in these conversations and locked in these different things, can you think about the values in church that church might bring to it? And when someone else is lamenting the state of the world, one thing you can say to that person is, oh, by the way, have you ever been to church? It might just be that the solution the problems of the world more than anything else is the small work that's done here. And if we're actually going to do that work, we not only have to come here on Sunday mornings, but you also have to tell other people about it. And if you can embrace that task, who knows what the future will hold? But at least we'll have the ingredients that make a new future, a bright future, possible.